Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. We're entering into the final of the eight Beatitudes. How many of us love training? (laughs) We're about to hit that time of the year when they're going to start giving the advertisements for all types of home exercise equipment or gyms. And trying after we have eaten so much through times getting together, we put on the extra pounds and then we're out of shape. And the doctors want us to watch our diet and exercise. And so companies capitalize on that. They know we're going to make New Year's resolutions. And here comes all of the advertisements of all of the people who are getting in shape or in shape. Training is an important part of life. Physical training for your mind, for your soul. That's why we're here today. And when we think about this, training is important. I have a question for you. Do you want to be spiritually complete, lacking nothing? Do you want to have everything that you need to be spiritually complete and lacking nothing? A disciple of the Lord Jesus would say in their heart and with their life, that is what I want. That is a driving desire of my life. Maybe you remember a time when you started a new job You didn't know everything that everyone else knew. Maybe on a job you were given a new computer program, didn't know how to operate that. Maybe a new piece of equipment or machinery and you were unfamiliar with it and suddenly you feel like you're behind and you're you're trying to catch up. I'm never like that. When I go on to a new job and I don't know and everybody else knows what's going on and I'm having to learn and I want to learn it as fast as I can so that I'm able to function and do my job properly. If you're a coach, what separates a really great coach from an average coach or a good coach is the ability to take whatever talent is on the team and train them, bring them together to function as a team, as a group, cohesively to be able to win and enjoy whatever that sport is, to enjoy that. Perhaps you went to college. I looked at the statistics this week. You know, 30% of people drop out after their first year of college. I looked for the statistic of how many people passed their first year of college. I know when I went to college, there was a lot of people in the freshman dorms that were failing. Why? They stayed up all night playing risk, playing games, you know, talking, chatting, whatever, and they weren't studying and they should have been studying. And suddenly their student loans became at risk and everything else that went along with that. But that first year, freshman year, all the basic classes, all the 101s, you know, English 101. By my junior year, they added a class, and it was study skills. Because they realized if people don't know how to study, we can give you all of the classes that you need. But if you don't study, if you don't understand the basic skills of studying, you're not going to make it. You're not going to last. You're going to fail, and then you're going to fail again. I was thankful I didn't have to take that study skills class in the library. For those who have served in the armed forces, basic training. What's basic training doing? It's pulling all these people together from all different backgrounds, all different shapes, sizes, you know, athletic ability, and puts them through training, stresses them out, stretches them to the max, and puts them into what is at the end, for those who didn't quit, a cohesive group to function together as a brotherhood, to have each other's back, to be able to accomplish a mission. Christianity 101 is this, beloved. There will be suffering. There will be suffering. Think about this. We follow a crucified Savior We know this, but we forget this. I forget this. We follow a crucified Savior. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I said in a sermon, but I want the red carpet. I want the easy, everything worked out, no suffering, no trouble, 
but my Savior was crucified. A crucified Savior. We've taken about eight weeks. We've examined these Beatitudes. Comes out of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount right at the beginning. And here he pronounced a divine blessing. And I came across Warren Wearsby's definition of what it means to be blessed. And I find this to be helpful, especially when we face the topic of suffering and more specifically of persecution. He says this. He says, to be blessed implies an inner satisfaction and sufficiency that is independent of external circumstances for happiness. And I'm wondering if this morning, do you have that? An internal satisfaction, a sufficiency that is independent of external circumstances for happiness. Or does your happiness go with the stock market? Does your happiness go with the election? Does your happiness go with whatever, the economy, how the day is going. To live off the grid, you like watching any of those shows where they live out in the middle of Alaska or middle of nowhere, and they live off the grid. They're independent. They have a source of power that's coming from solar or somewhere else, a generator, and they're independent. And when the power grid goes out, doesn't matter because they're independent of the power. They have their own source of energy. For us as believers, we have an inner source, which is the Holy Spirit, that our joy can remain, our joy abides, independent of all that may be going on around us. Jesus promises that his disciples are truly blessed. But listen to me, beloved, we are not. We are not exempt from suffering. Matter of fact, we are guaranteed suffering. Now think about this. Is this really the way to get a following of people? Is this really a way to start out a religion? Suffering, persecution, trials. Follow me. And Jesus said, lose your life. Follow me. If you won't lose your life, you won't keep your life. What is the value of your soul? Think about it. Why would any of Jesus' disciples continue to follow him after he was crucified? Have you ever thought about how people walked away from the cross that day looking at their hopes, their dreams, nailed to a Roman cross? And you're going to go home and do what? What's important to you now? Lunch? Dinner? Your retirement? The next animal you're going to purchase? Their hopes and dreams were nailed to the cross. And now what are you going to do? And yet when he resurrected, they followed him. And many of them laid down their lives. What is it that's worth losing your life? This has to be some kind of extraordinary good news. And that's exactly what it is. So the important question for us this morning is to consider not if we're going to suffer, it's when, we're, when we suffer. When suffering comes, are we ready? James 1, the half-brother of Jesus wrote, he said, count it all joy in verse 2. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Like, let it come to full, full bloom, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Remember I just asked you that? Do you want to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? It comes through trials. So it's a responsibility of a, of a pastor. It's a responsibility of a shepherd. It's a responsibility of a father, of a parent, to prepare their their flock to prepare their family for suffering. It's coming. From the mountain, Jesus delivers this message, which is upside down. It's an upside down way to live. This final beatitude, it stretches out the distance between the genuine follower of Christ and the counterfeit as he preaches, as he teaches the way of his kingdom. Jesus didn't use fine print. You ever get tired of fine print? where you sign a contract and you get done and somebody, oh, that, that was in there. That was in the fine print. You have a, my brand new car and something's wrong with it. Oh, fine print. That was on you. You didn't do it. What? 
Oh, the asterisk, there it is at the bottom. All of that information, we're not responsible. Jesus didn't do fine print. He was upfront and faithfully prepared his people. He loved them and he told them the truth in the most loving way and he was truthful. And he called his people, his followers, his disciples to live a life that is transformed. If we belong to Jesus, we will be transformed and this message will take root in our lives and we'll see fruit that comes from this message. Matthew chapter five, verse one, seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they, for they shall be called sons of God. Now to today's study. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. As we enter this basic training, basic training for lifelong Christian discipleship, there's something different about this beatitude today, beloved. One through seven were things that we do. It's how we think. It's who we are. But number eight is different because it's what's done to us. It's not something that we make happen or that we intentionally cause to happen. It's what happens to a person who is living this life of discipleship. So for lifelong Christian discipleship, number one, expect persecution. Expect it. Don't be surprised by trials. Just as every Christian is to be a peacemaker, likewise, every Christian can expect opposition. Every single Christian. This persecution, we need to understand, what is Jesus talking about here, is not suffering for selfishness. All right, so let's clarify. This is not for sin. This is not for selfishness. This is not for the person who is filled with stubbornness or even stupidity on our own part. I have done plenty of stupid things. I've made plenty of mistakes. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Persecution, trials that come because I made bad decisions. Jesus is not talking about persecution He's, this is not being overzealous and offensive to people who are not as spiritual as we claim to be. Oh, there, there are plenty of people like this where they promote themselves. You know, they know more than others. They listen to the right people. They do the right things. And so they become overzealous. And if somebody is different than they are, then they cut them out of their circle. And they're persecuted. And that's not what Jesus is meaning. People who are offensive, they're just obnoxious with the gospel. They're loud and offensive, and as a believer, you sit there and you cringe when they are sharing the gospel in such a harsh, unchristlike way that you know this is creating a real contrast between genuine Christianity and what they're attempting to do. Listen to what James Montgomery Boyce says. He says, there is no promise of happiness for those who are persecuted for being a nuisance or for Christians who have shown themselves to be objectionable, difficult, foolish, and insulting to their non-Christian friends. And then they claim, oh, I'm being persecuted. No, it might be that you're just rude. It might be that you're just unkind and a jerk. 
don't slap the name of Jesus on that and say, it's persecution. No. Jesus is not talking about oppression that results from grasping for political power and influence. He is not talking about the persecution or suffering that comes from sin and its consequences of doing wrong. First Peter chapter 4, Peter writes, he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Okay, that's not persecution. That's doing wrong. Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. There's no honor in doing what is wrong, suffering for doing wrong. There is no shame in suffering for doing what is right. So that it's not, persecution is not those things. This persecution that Jesus is talking about is different then. It's different than suffering that is common to all humanity. Okay, Jesus is not talking about suffering that is common to all people everywhere. That's not what he has in mind here. Every human being will share in suffering of this nature, but we don't seek it out. We don't go hunt this down, sickness and pain and grief and loss and rejection and loneliness, and we're offensive to people, and then they rejected us, and then we can claim, see, I was persecuted for Christ and put another star on my chart. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But know this. For every person who is suffering right now, and we have many people in our church family who are suffering right now through these areas of sickness and pain and disease and grief and loss and rejection and loneliness, and some are facing death or have loved ones who have died, God knows, he sees, he cares, he understands. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here in this eighth beatitude. So what is he talking about? What is this kind of suffering? The suffering that Jesus is speaking of here is suffering because of righteousness. It's suffering for righteousness. It's suffering for the sake of Christ. That's what Jesus has in mind here. And he says, loved ones, expect persecution. Isaiah prophesied, centuries before, that Jesus Messiah would be the suffering servant. And not for anything that he had done. It was not for any iniquity on his part. It was on, be, on behalf of us, the sinless suffering for sinners. So because of righteousness, persecution will come from two directions. There's an expected attack, and then there's an unexpected attack. The expected attack comes from the direction of the ungodly or the non-believer, the person who rejects that Jesus Christ is the only way, and we would understand this. This is expected. John Calvin said this. He said, Satan, the prince of the world, will never cease to fill his followers with rage, to carry on hostilities against the members of Christ. So there's no surprise attack there. Children of the light, children of darkness, they're on opposing sides. But then there is an unexpected attack, and it comes from those who are religious, the self-righteous, the person who is trusting in themselves or their own accomplishments or what they have done or what they have not done. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones he said this, he said, if you try to imitate Christ, the world will praise you. If you become Christ-like, it will hate you. You see the difference? Many false religions have no problem with giving honor and respect to Jesus. A faithful follower of Muhammad will say about Jesus, peace be upon him, but they will not confess him as Lord. The Jehovah's Witnesses will use all types of surroundings of Jesus, pictures and Bible verses, but they will not bow down to him as Lord. Mormons 
will attribute to me the church of Jesus Christ, but they will not bow down and confess Jesus as the eternally uncreated creator, the Lord of life. Try to imitate Jesus and take some of his teaching and put a, a, a spin on it and make a following and people will say, that's great, aren't they doing nice things? But when you and I become Christ-like, the world will hate you. You ever been in your room and it's dark and then you open the curtains and what do you see when the sunlight shines in? Dust everywhere in the, in the beams of the sunlight. Did the sunlight create the dust? No. It revealed there's pollution in the air. There's dust in the air. There's a problem in the air. And for me, I just, I just like turn on the air purifier, get close to it. I can't handle looking at, you know, if I'm driving down the road and the sun is shining in and I roll down my windows and here comes all kinds of stuff blowing out and like, ah, oh, drives me crazy. The sun doesn't make that happen. It reveals that it's there. And when Jesus Christ, God in flesh, walked this earth, then something happened. People were exposed. The religious people that looked so great, they began to look like my t-shirts after I've worn them for a couple years. And then I bring a new pack home from wherever and I sit them on the bed, I open them up and I put them next to it. And suddenly my, what I thought was a white t-shirt next to the brand new t-shirt, it's not white at all. And what really gets me is when you get those toothpaste little things, you know, and it says, here's your little scale and this little chart. And where are your teeth on that scale? And the more coffee I drink, the further I slide down the chart toward the darker. And I want my teeth to go toward the lighter. So you have to brush and do this and do that. I just want to throw that little chart away and just look at myself just in my mirror, especially in the summer when my face is tanned, teeth are looking good. But if I really look at it next to a, an objective test, I got some way, I got a ways to go. I need to brush my teeth. My mom always told me that growing up, brush your teeth. I did. Try again. Do better. Go at it again. Jesus, when he walked this earth, the religious people, they hated him because he made them, made them feel. He exposed that their self-righteousness was not right at all. But those who were unrighteous and knew it, they were refreshing because the light actually showed them the way. They, they saw the truth and they saw a savior and they didn't see themselves as the savior. They saw themselves as the problem and they recognized Jesus to be the savior. And so they refused to trust in themselves and they went to Jesus and he saved them. Sinclair Ferguson, he said this, he said, Christians are persecuted for the sake of righteousness because of their loyalty to Christ. Real loyalty to him creates friction in the hearts of those who, listen now, pay him only lip service. How do they attack believers? It's not if, it's when. And Jesus says this, they're gonna revile you. You're blessed when they revile you. That's to be insulted, mocked, reproached, and shamed for the name for the cause of Christ. This is extremely difficult and painful when it comes from someone that you love. Maybe a spouse, or maybe a parent, or maybe a child, someone close to you, a close friend you've grown up with. This is painful. Now, as we have prayed for the persecuted church, and we've never had that. We can identify with the, the, the officials coming in and taking all the Bibles and taking them out and setting them on fire in front of the church. We can't identify with that. And how do we relate? Listen to what I find this helpful. James uh, Boyce, he says this. He says, we may be certain that God sees the little martyrs as well as the great ones and that he is pleased, sometimes more pleased with the small sacrifices and the small insults patiently borne for his sake as he is with the far more spectacular persecutions. That family member that just faithfully keeps pursuing God and someone in their family just digs at them and mocks them and makes fun of them and makes it hard on them and makes it difficult for them to follow after Christ. 
the apostle Peter, he knew that suffering was coming for him. Jesus told him, it's coming for you. And he took Jesus' sermon to heart. Just listen to how similar when Peter writes, how you can, when he was writing, he probably could close his eyes and just go back and just remember Jesus preaching this message, 1 Peter 3, 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, that sounds familiar, you will be blessed. That sounds familiar. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, that's familiar, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. In chapter four, he writes, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Just hold right there. I can't count the number of times that people that I care about in ministry, family, have said, why is this happening? There's feelings of guilt that come over us. Am I, not, am I not pleasing the Lord enough? Am I not doing enough? Am I not giving enough? Am I not serving enough? Maybe is the Lord, why is this happening? If something goes wrong, why am I suffering? And Peter is writing, this isn't something strange happening to you. This is what was promised. And he says in verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You see what he, he through his letter, he's saying, get your head up, lift your head up, lift your eyes up. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There's something about suffering for Christ that we experience a fellowship with his sufferings that you can't come by it any other way than by suffering. So we'll be reviled and Jesus then promises that they will persecute you. This is to be chased down, pursued, put to flight, driven away. All right, this is just coming after you. Like, what are we doing? We were over here serving, preaching, helping, and they came after us. Oh, it's coming. Oh, you believe this in your doctrinal statement? And groups will come after you, pursuing you, trying to make a case that you're hateful or unkind or unloving. This includes physical abuse. This includes verbal abuse. Jesus warned of this, John 15. If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. Okay, it's not strange. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Why is this happening to me? He has chosen you. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Oh, take this to heart, beloved. Jesus says they will revile you. They will persecute you. And then he says, and they will utter all kinds of evil against you. And here's a qualifier falsely, falsely on my account. That's to be slandered. That's to be lied about in all kinds of ways. And the qualification here for this to be persecution that Jesus is talking about and for his blessing, he says it's for Christ's sake. Paul experienced this kind of treatment. It would ultimately lead to him being beheaded. Why? For the sake of Christ. 
some of the last words that he wrote to Timothy, handing to him the baton of ministry, 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, indeed, guaranteed, this is gonna happen. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what's coming, persecuted. Timothy, make no mistake about this. So basic training 101, expect persecution. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be surprised. Number two, elevate Jesus' promise. The first one's heavy. Expect persecution. Thanks, Pastor. Great message. Appreciate that. Yikes. But number two, elevate Jesus' promise. Never lose sight of eternity. Time is passing so quickly, beloved, and Jesus has given to his followers, his disciples, the citizens of his kingdom, a promise of blessing. This promise from Jesus is not only upside down, but it's also ultimate. It's countercultural, and it's forever. It's a promise of blessing. He says, blessed are those who are reviled, persecuted, slandered. He says this, this is in the third pl person plural, easy for me to say, all right, it's general. He's talking to the whole crowd, blessed are those who are. And this is what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, our Lord started and ended with this particular promise in order to impress upon his listeners that the important thing was, here it is, don't miss this, was membership in the kingdom of heaven. Remember where we started? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Beatitude number one. Here we are at the last beatitude. It's like parentheses now. It's like bookends saying, hey, blessing, kingdom of heaven. It's a promise of blessing. And then he makes it specific. Blessed are you. So how do we elevate this promise? How do we keep this promise before us? It wasn't like you, it wasn't like I forgot this past week that Jesus died for me. But in reality, when situations when problems, when trials become so preeminent that we're forgetting to remember, we're not putting Christ and the cross in preeminent spot, first place, it diminishes and we forget. How do we help one another remember? It's by walking together in community. It's by encouraging one another. It's praying for one another. It's sending encouraging a text message, a scripture back and forth. It's praying, it's loving, it's serving one another as we walk together specific to Jesus' disciples. This blessed are you when they, and he drills in, he makes it personal in those verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus knows what you're going through. It's not just all of his people, he knows, but he knows what you're going through. He knows what I am going through. So Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for, who did he suffer for? Oh, we can say sinners. Yes, he suffered for sinners. For God so loved the world. I know that verse, Pastor. But when Peter is making it, what really motivates, what moves us to be willing to suffer persecution, it's not just knowing the facts. It's being moved in our heart, in our confidence, the center of our being that he suffered for me. He suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Are you following in his steps today? Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Jesus has promised a blessing. Jesus has also promised heaven. Elevate this promise. What is heaven? It's ultimately to be at home with God, to be with God, to be at home. Do you love to be at home? You know, something about us, we're never quite at home. When we're at home, we're thinking, I need to be out here. I need to be out there. I need to be going over there. But the promise of heaven, it's when we're at home with God. 
Verse 10, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right back where we started in verse 3. John Stott, he says it this way. He says, the world dreams of progress, of power, and of the future. But the disciple, the disciples meditate on the end, the last judgment, and the coming of the kingdom. We are given a promise of blessing, and we are given a promise of heaven. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you don't know Dietrich Bonhoeffer's story, he was a, a pastor in Germany. And when Hitler came to power at the beginning stages, Hitler gathered pastors and he brought them all in and he said, I'm the shepherd of the people now. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, no, you don't have that authority. God has called me to shepherd the people. When he got back to his office, it was ransacked. He ended up going to prison. He never married his fiancee. He was killed just before the, the freedom and the war ended. He says it this way, he says, with every beatitude, the gulf is widened between the disciples and the people. And their call to come forth from the people becomes increasingly manifest. There's something that Jesus is doing here. Blessed are, there's this plural, but then he makes it specific. And there's this widening gap between the disciple and everybody else. For great is your reward in heaven, verse 12 says. This reward is not to just be enjoyed temporarily. Our, our reward is ultimately, it's not earthly. It's not earthy. It's eternal. Disciples of Jesus are guaranteed heaven. Stott says it this way. He says, persecution is simply the clash between two irre irreconcilable value systems. They're at war. He says, we may lose everything on earth, but listen, we shall inherit everything in heaven. So lift your eyes up, lift your head up. Let the Holy Spirit lift you up by his word today and remember, elevate the promise of Jesus. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. You will have tribulation. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen and amen and amen, right? 1 John 2, 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides, how long? Forever, forever. So here's what we're constantly reminded. Do I have blessings that are temporary or is the blessing coming from God forever, untouchable? Where are you placing your faith and trust and your hope? Expect persecution. Don't be surprised by trials. Together, let's elevate Jesus' promise. Never lose sight of eternity. And thirdly, embrace the process. We need to embrace the process. When someone comes to faith in Christ, it's glorious. But they still struggle with the old nature. They still struggle with the old ways. It's not all better, perfect. No, they wrestle. It's a process. Remember that God is always working for our good and for his glory. And you can make that personal. He's always working for my good and his glory. Every situation. Embrace the process. Romans 8, 28 says that so well. For those who love God and call according to his purpose, he's working all things together for good. So if I'm going to embrace the process, all right, if you're going to embrace the process, expect persecution, that's bad. Oh, but elevate Jesus' promise, that's good. So what do I do? As a church, what do we do? How do we live? How do we function Jesus says it, rejoice and be glad. Here's our response, rejoice and be glad. This, pers this perspective is upside down. This kind of joy must be grounded in something far greater than our feelings. 
A divine invitation is here given by Jesus to experience the greatest joy possible. This is unshakable joy. And he says, persecution's coming. Here's how you approach it. Rejoice and be glad. Romans 5 deals with that. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1.8, he says to Timothy, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in his suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Something about Timothy was going soft. Something about Timothy was going a little bit quiet, a little bit silent. Do you ever have times like that in your life, in your Christian walk? And you think, where am I? How am I here? Where was I going? And what am I doing? And what am I passionate about? And so Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying, hey, come on, son. Share in the suffering of Christ. 2 Timothy 2, 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He's reminding him, who are you? And who do, to whom do you belong, Timothy? You belong to Jesus. In Philippians 1, 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. All right, now all of us right there as believers could say, amazing, I have been chosen to follow Christ. How wonderful, that's amazing. Thank you, Lord. Um, but he doesn't end the verse there. That you have, should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Rejoice. So the verse that we began this message with in James 1, 2 to 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, you know, you know, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in how much? Nothing. Nothing. Do you really want to get on an airplane that's never been tested? You want to take a vaccine that's never been tested? We're thankful for tests that help us, that save us, protect us. But what is encountered in the testing process. Can't have a tool, use a tool that's never been tested. It's not, it's not worth anything. How will God use us? He'll refine us. He'll test us. He'll put us through fire and burn away the impurity and the dross for our good and for his glory. So remember your future reward. Remember your future reward. Rejoice and be glad. Remember your future reward. Jesus says, for your reward is, that's eh, all right in heaven. I mean, would you watch the shows that do, that go into a house and take this house that's just kind of run down and they make the house over and then they put the picture on the front. Here's the old house and then they pull it back. Would you watch the show if you couldn't ever see the final reveal? It would be pointless. It would just be the worst if you can't see. But what did you do with the house? What does it look like now? Your reward is great in heaven. Wait till you see the finished product of what God is doing in you. And notice, it's this, this is not a reward that's earned by us. This is a reward that's earned by Jesus, our Savior. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us, you could say it is working for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You can't even think about, it. you can't even compare this to anything. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you see how he, do you see how he talked about trials? The light momentary affliction. But it seems so great, and it is. But there's something greater. There's something greater. And so we need to reflect on our heritage. 
Reflect upon your heritage. This is how we embrace the process. Rejoice and be glad. Remember your future reward and reflect upon your heritage. Now, I'm not talking about your family from wherever you're from. I'm talking about the family, the heritage of God, God's family. When you read the Old Testament, when you read the New Testament, and you have been included in this long line of saints, and then you ask yourself the question as you read through the Bible, and I'm going to encourage you, read through the Bible next year with me, Old Testament and New Testament, every day. We'll share the link. And here's what we see. Who wasn't tested? Who wasn't persecuted? Who didn't go through suffering? It's a long line. Job? Tested, suffered. Joseph, Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micaiah, the prophet. I love that story. Elijah, Daniel, Esther. They all risked everything and they suffered. Hebrews 11 gives a list of many who the writer says of whom the world was not worthy. The New Testament, Acts chapter five. I'm gonna encourage you to read that this afternoon. The church is tested through turmoil, lying, envy inside the church in the beginning part. And then the Lord brings a divine discipline in the church and the church spreads out. They're preaching the gospel. They're arrested. The apostles are, and they bring them in. Uh, after they find them again, they come in and they say, we told you to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And they said, we can't. And they beat them and they commanded them, don't preach in the name of Jesus. And Acts 5.41 says, then they left the presence of the council. What's their attitude? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And one of those was Peter. 1 Peter 5.9, speaking of the devil, resist him. Firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering that are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, and after you have suffered a little while. You realize no matter how long you live, it's a little while. Whether it's 15 or 105, in light of eternity, it's a little while. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He just bursts out in praise. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Like he just amens himself. Like that's a great message. I was there when Jesus preached it. And amen. Sometimes I want to do that. Go around here when y'all a little bit quiet, a little sleepy, and say, amen, that's right, Preach on, because it's true. And when trials come in our lives, we lose sight of what is eternal and what is valuable because other things take over and they intercept our view. Church history is filled with the records of men and women who endured persecution for the sake of Christ. Fox's Book of Martyrs is a book you can read. Tortured for Christ, Richard Wurmbrand's story. Through the Gates of Splendor, story of those five missionaries put to death in Ecuador by Elizabeth Elliot, The Hiding Place by Corey Timboob, and so many others where you can read of your heritage, of how people suffered and even gave their lives for us to embrace the gospel and be loved by God. And so then it comes down to our final blank on this here sheet. So what do we do? Run your race. Run your race. You can't run Dietrich Bonhoeffer's race. You can't run the Apostle Peter's race. You can't run the Apostle Paul's or anybody else. You can only run your race. The race marked out for you, your life. So look to Jesus. If we're persecuted, then we will be encouraged for two reasons. One, it's evidence we belong to Jesus. Two, it's evidence the Holy Spirit is bringing about these beatitudes in our lives so that there's persecution that happens, not because we cause it, because we are being like Christ and persecution is inevitable. Not everybody will embrace you and say, that's the way and that's amazing and let me applaud you. No. So after Hebrews 11 folds into Hebrews 12, the writer says, therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which so clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Follow in his steps. This is our basic training, beloved. Expect persecution. Don't be surprised by trials. Elevate Jesus' promise. Never lose sight of eternity. We have to help each other in this. We walk together. We worship together. We serve together. And this is always on, on our minds. Encourage one another. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't forget about forever, eternity, heaven, and embrace the process. Remember that God is always working for our good and for his glory. So we're not gonna try to find persecution, but by the grace of God, when persecution finds us, we will not fear. And you will not say, my pastor never told me about this. We prepared, be prepared, be prepared. Let's stand together. Oh, Father, we need the righteousness of Christ in our lives. We cannot save ourselves. And I pray for those who may be hearing today and they have never turned from their sin and trusted in you that today would be their day of salvation where they would admit, I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. I need a savior. And they would see that Jesus is the savior who was crucified for sinners and they would trust in you. They would find you to be merciful. And Father, as we live out our lives then, having come to faith in Christ, Lord, you have to produce this fruit in us. We can't make this on our own. So as we live in devotion to you, Lord, in righteousness, God, I pray that you will draw all men to yourself. That people are either being pushed away by the gospel or draw near. Use us, use us as a church that people will be drawn to worship Jesus and have their sins forgiven and heaven is their home and a new family, a new heritage, a new legacy and embrace and rejoice in suffering because you suffered in our place and you rose from the dead. Ah, oh, you are a man of sorrows and we worship and we serve and we wait for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.